Hey guys, Jack here. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, we have a special episode this week. We are doing our first PLO hand. Uh, this is not necessarily going to be a regular occurrence. Uh, we're still deciding whether we want to do any more PLO content, and if we want to do that as an additional podcast uh, to the regular weekly podcast or maybe once a month. Uh, but we'd love your feedback about whether you like this podcast, whether you want PLO content, whether you definitely don't want PLO content, uh, for any sort of concerns, uh, support, questions, suggestions, go ahead and email me at jack at justhandspoker.com, uh, and we'll take all of your suggestions into consideration. Also, this episode was recorded about six months ago, uh, which is not apparent in the strategy section, but there's a brief interview at the end of the episode, and it becomes clear there. But it's still an interesting interview and still very up-to-date, uh, even though it's clear how certain things have changed, mostly for the better. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in, and enjoy this week's episode with our guest, Kevin Gerhardt. Hello, Jack. Hey, Zach, what's going on? Just got back home. I know the same for you. How, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Uh, it's nice to be back. A little cold, but, you know. Anyways... Uh, here we have a guest today. Yeah, another Cleveland native. We got Kevin Gerhardt on the podcast today. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing well. How's it going? Yeah, it, it's going good. Heard you've taken a little break from your new life in Vegas to come home to Cleveland and talk with us on the podcast. Yeah, it's been uh, a lot of PLO action here. Don't really play too much PLO in Vegas, surprisingly. But you, you have a hand, uh, you got a hand for us from Vegas, or is it from Cleveland? This is from Cleveland. Oh, cool. So uh, let's not name the people, but if you describe them, I might I might know some of the villains. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so want to wanna set up the hand? All right, so we're playing nine-handed, one-two PLO with a $5 bring-in. Everyone at this table, it's the main game, is pretty deep. So most people have over a thousand in front of them, which is uh, different than the normal people buying it for one hundred or two hundred. So under the gun is a loose, aggressive young player. He pots it to fifteen. Uh, under the gun one is a loose, old, rich player who pots it to fifty. I'm in the low jack. I look down at ace of spades, king of spades, king of diamonds, six of clubs. I decide to call. The hijack is a middle-aged, uh, fit or fold Asian player, and he decided to call. Oh, I know that guy. <laughs> and it folds to uh, the original Razor, who calls. So we're four ways uh, on the flop. So l- let's talk about pre-flop real quick, Kevin. All right. Um, I I personally think this is a pretty standard call, and it wouldn't really make sense to four-bet your hand, but... Uh, do you think there's any argument to be made for for four betting against kind of two, you know, ranges that aren't just aces? Um, so in these type of games, from what I've learned, people don't like to fold preflop, especially when they've put in money. They're not huge fans of giving up any of their equity. So uh, the way I like to play these hands, most hands that aren't like double suited aces, is just call and see a flop and try to navigate my way uh, using, you know, board textures and connectedness. 
So I, I don't see any merit in uh, in forbetting this hand at all because you know you, you're just going to gamble and you're not going to give any of your uh, skill edge a chance to manifest itself. Yeah, I mean, given that we're not clearly ahead of, uh, what's that, Undergun plus one? Undergun plus one, yeah. Yeah, given that we're not clearly ahead of his range, and we also have an uncapped range in C, or in under the gun. Yeah, I think basically what we're just doing is like uh, shortening SPR with, you know, a hand that really probably needs to improve for us to feel uh, very comfortable going forward. I agree. Yeah, you're also kind of like at an awkward stack size. Like if for some reason, you know, you bought in for like 500 and then like lost a pot and didn't rebuy yet and we're at like I think two or three hundred I think I'm definitely shoving here but I agree uh, yeah I, th- I think this is this is a call what's more interesting to me is you said like you know you're not really going to be forbidding hands that aren't like double suited aces what would you do here with kind of like maybe not the worst aces but bad aces like ace ace seven eight without a suit Okay, so with without a suit, I would just call. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's no reason to uh, raise uh, any anything like that that doesn't have any draws to the possible nuts. So uh, I've been doing a lot of research on PLO and um, a lot of board textures, and so the flop for any flop game to have two at least two cards of the same suit on the flop is greater than 50%. I don't know if you guys knew that. So if you guys have uh, like a suited ace in your hand, it makes it much more likely that you're going to win because you, you might flop a flush draw. Whereas, you know, if you go to the flop in like a six-way hand in PLO, someone will flop a flush draw more than 50% of the time, which is you know, very interesting. Yeah, so also just for like for the listeners, because I, I know this game pretty well, Like th- this is a game where if someone makes it 15, someone makes it 50, and another guy pots it at like 200, the guy that made it 15 is very likely calling with 1,000 behind. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, before we move on, do you, want, do you want to just tell us a little bit about kind of this research that you've been doing? Like what, is, what does that look like? Has it been like independent, like playing with equity calculators, or has it been reading? Or um, So I've... I've subscribed to uh, a training website and there is a lot of good PLO uh, information in the form of theory based information Mm -hmm. where it goes through uh, board textures and there's uh, connectedness. There's just so much math behind this game. It's, it's absolutely like mind blowing. And I, I love the, the math and the statistics behind everything uh, coming from my engineering background. Um, mm. So I've, I've been doing a lot of uh, research and I haven't really been doing equ- equity calculations on my own because I can barely do them with Hold'em and trying with PLO is just uh, a nightmare. But eventually I'll get there. It's my goal to to eventually get there. Sort of an aside from the podcast, I can, I don't, I don't want to be promoting any software on the podcast without sponsorship, but uh, have you ever checked out Poker Juice? I have not. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's it's got to be the best PLO like equity software out there. It's unfortunately it's a subscription, but it's not so expensive. 
and it's like the the UI is just like awesome. Yeah, it's like uh, if I I'd highly recommend it, Kevin, just to like play around with yourself. Like, okay. do you ever use like a poker stove or like poker cruncher? Yeah. So I right. mean, it's 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 a little more complicated than that, just because it's PLO. But I'd say it's right. like the equivalent of that in terms of like ease of use. Yeah, in terms of ease of use, maybe, but I mean, it's just much more powerful. Yeah. No. No. Of uh. course. I've only used it a few times, Jack. You've used it more than me, but. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, worth yeah. checking out. Anyways. Uh, I've been doing uh, the uh, the Run It Once subscription. Oh, okay. Is that is that the subscription you've been doing? Yeah, they had a, a special for like a year subscription. It was like a thousand. So I decided, why not? Plus, I could write it off on taxes. Yeah, the luxuries of, of the professional life. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, so let's let, let's move to the flop. Okay, so the flop is. Queen of Spades, Seven of Hearts, Three of Diamonds. Under the gun uh, checks, we use the original Razor. The original Re-Razor, uh, Under the Gun 1, checks as well. So it, it checks to me, and in these spots with, with these boards that are so you know, dry, there's no draws available, I like leading with the vast majority of my range because people will fold out hands that should be calling incorrectly in these type of games. So I decided to bet half pot, I bet 100 into 205, and surprisingly, everyone calls. So remind me uh, how many players went to the flop. Was it, it, wasn't just, was it just the three of you? Or there were four, there? four ways to the flop. Okay. And when you say people are going to incorrectly fold, are you thinking like uh, top air hands or... Yeah, top, plus top gut pair shot. hands with good back doors. Um, maybe top pair with with uh, some sort of gut shot. You know, some five six or some four five thrown in there. Um, they don't realize the type of equity they're getting from calling my half pot bet, and they will fold incorrectly. So my hand isn't great. You know, I have a backdoor flush draw with an over pair and nothing else to go with it. You know, backdoor straight draw, I guess. Um, but I understand this game, and if, if people don't flop sets or two pair plus, most of the time they just give up. Right. Okay. So, 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 I mean, so that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense to me when you're bluffing. With this hand in particular, the the thing that sort of strikes me about what you said is that if people are going to be folding hands like top pair but calling with hands like or calling or raising with two pair plus you know we'll know where we are when we get called probably right but it doesn't make betting that appealing to me since our hand is sort of i guess in a head or behind hand or but i think there's maybe a bit more to it if you want to you know sort of riff off that Okay, um, so I I think it's possible that I have the best hand in this spot. You know, I have, I have kings on a queen seven three rainbow board, and I think that uh, I could I could get people to fold out their equity, uh, not not really as a bluff, not really as a value hand, but kind of like a merged uh, bet in this spot because, you know, like, like I said, my hand is probably best at this point. I want to gather information of where I'm at at in this hand. You know, if I get raised, I'm just folding because people will raise in this spot with sets, you know, exactly sets. 
and sometimes not even like bottom or middle site, you know? Right. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, I think the key there is like four away. Uh, even though we might have the best hand right now, or we probably have the best hand a lot of the time. And when people fold, we probably folded out hands that, you know, if the hand ended now, we were ahead of. Uh, yeah, I think four way, the amount of equity we're folding out with this half pot bet. Yeah, like you said, it's kind of a total coup. Uh, to be folding out that much equity. I, I'm just going to jump in and, and say, from my experience in these games, like betting closer to pot, everything Kevin has said is true in terms of like people incorrectly folding top pair. Like maybe someone will call like ace queen exactly, but even like like a hand that should be a clear call, like a king queen nine ten that has all this backdoor equity and two pair draws will fold. Right. Uh, but I think I think actually I like the half pot bet because those hands will call and you're getting value like it's uh so if you think half pot they're folding those hands and i would like betting a little bit smaller but i i definitely like betting in this spot but i want to value target like queen x and it's obviously higher variance to uh like bet half pot bet a little smaller than half pot to get calls from worse because in plo the equities just run closer so even though you very likely have the best hand now um, there's a lot of turn cards that will give, you know, the calling ranges of the one to three other players that will call you uh, the, a better hand than you. I, I think that's that's what you should try to be getting called by worse here, rather than like trying to fold out equity. But to go off what you said, at uh, Kevin, I think that like in these spots a lot on like dry boards when people check and I'm in position or you know one off uh, like the last position. I'm betting playing a double barrel a ton of like non uh draw completing turn cards. And I think that's where like a lot of money is to be made in these like really loose PLO games where people play really face up. Right. Yeah, I guess if Zach, if you're planning on double barreling, that changes things a little bit. In my mind, I didn't agree with you about trying to get called by worse in this spot. Because I'm thinking that we're going to have to check back uh, the turn. And so we're going to be allowing people to realize too much of their equity to want them to call even with a hand like, uh, you know, just top pair. But I'm just wondering, I guess, so you're saying you, you're expecting to, you know, be betting the turn a lot. No, I no, I was saying with, with, with bluffs. It oh, de- I see. It, it depends on how many people call. Like I think when three people call me, uh, if I don't turn a spade draw – or hit a set. I'm. I think I'm always, almost always checking back. Uh, but I was just saying this is like a really good spot to bluff. And I think that like a lot of even like better players and professionals at PLO aren't like double double barreling or even triple barreling enough when people turn their hands face up, saying they have a draw. And if you can hand read, you could figure out which which cards will complete those likely draws. I was just kind of making that point generally about this type of board. Texture. I see. I see. Yeah. Yeah, no. The only reason I led this flop was, you know, because of the board texture. You know, I I could have the best hand. I I most likely do have the best hand at this spot, and I wanted people to give me information. You know, if someone raises, I'm just going to throw my hand away, right? If someone calls, they they probably have an okay hand, maybe uh, a pair. I don't think people are calling to float very often in this spot, uh, and I, I'm using a. a, a concept that I learned playing Hold'em, where if the original Razor checks on the flop instead of 
instead of uh, CBETs in a multi-way pot, the hand is kind of open to whoever wants to take the lead or take control in it to to do so. You know, you're you're showing strength in a in a hand where people play fit or fold most of the time. Someone yeah. might not want to call with like a, a hand like you know queen ten eight six where they they don't realize that they're they're they have equity against you know my entire betting range. But then again, if I flop a set on this board, you know, if I have a set of queens, I'm not full potting it, right? I'm yeah. I'm betting the the same half pot bet with my entire range in this spot. Yeah, I think the only kind of bet sizing thing I would do that's not half pot on this board would be if I had a hand like, you know, jack ten eight nine, and then I would just bet closer to full pot, uh, and be you know pretty unbalanced there with my like bluffing hands. I like that. Cool. So you you bet half pot and got three calls. Yeah, uh, everyone called out. So I was, <laughs> in my so, mind, I was shutting down. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably. So you have like an SPR of around one now, right? Uh, so it's six hundred in the middle. I a little a little more. I have everyone at the table covered, so I, I have like an SPR of two, and uh, the under the gun, under the gun one have an SPR of around one. And the guy, to, the Asian guy to my left, has an SPR of around one point three, one point four. Okay. Okay. So the turn brings the eight of clubs. Uh, so it's queen eight seven three, uh, rainbow, no flush draws, nothing. Under the gun checks. Under the gun one checks. I feel like I have to check in this spot because I don't think I have the best hand anymore. I don't have any draws. The Asian guy to my left decides to bet 250 into a pot of 605, and he has about 450 behind. Under the gun and under the gun one fold, and this is where I could either you know, fold my hand. I don't think I'm raising in this spot because he's calling with whatever he's betting with, but I decided to float the turn. So, okay, so you're calling here with this overpair, not because you ever think it's good, but because you think there's enough cards on the river where you can profitably bluff him, even though he'll be getting good pot odds. Right. So I, I think his hand is very face up at two pair at best, right? I don't think he's ever betting any sort of draw. You know, he never has nine ten jack in this spot and is betting. You know, he's never betting queen, queen jack ten nine because of the type of player that he is. He's just checking back and hoping that he hits his straight on the river. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the really wonderful thing about PLO. Like People turn their hands so face-up in terms of bet sizing, uh, way more so than Hold'em. Like, you, you see this phenomenon in Hold'em a little bit, but here uh, you're just generally always going to see a pot or close to pot bet with a nutted hand. So Right, yeah. right. So if he, if he somehow manages to turn a set of eights, he's potting it and everyone's folding, right? So... His 250, like you said, turns his hand very face up, and it has to be you know two pair at best, with no redraw. Is 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 how I uh, decided to, you know, put put his hand into a range of hands. Yeah. So, I, oh, sorry. So you're basically floating, planning on leading the river. Just to be clear, with with when, any when non scary card, I guess. So any like queen eight or seven, I'm not betting. Okay, because I, I think all the yeah. cards would be in his in his hand in his range of betting on the turn. So a king is obviously fantastic for my hand, right? 
top set. Uh, I think a three is good at this point. And I think any card between uh, seven and queen, or sorry, any card between uh, a nine and jack is good for my hand. Yeah. So one question about this player's range uh, in your mind. How often do you think this player has like, you said the flop was queen seven, three, right? So how often do you think this player could play sevens or threes this way? So I, instead of sevens, instead of threes. I don't think he would play that way, this way often at all. I think I'm getting raised by anyone that has a set on the flop. That's just how the, these PLO games work. You know, people call with these, you know, pretty terrible hands, you know, seven, yeah. seven, five <laughs> deuce, and just try and spike their set and then get all the money in. Okay. Or even even if like I, I would say Kevin's probably almost always getting raised from this type of player with sevens, but even if he decided to call with threes, he would just bet more on the turn. Because he's like, I don't want someone to hit my straight. I agree. Uh but I wanted to put it out there. Yeah. And and just but before we go to the river, like with the pot size, like you know, even if Kevin doesn't lead the majority of rivers, like you're still going to have a really profitable bluff betting effectively 400 into like uh, a thousand. A, or 11, 1100. 1100. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and he's just going to be overfolding so many two pair hands because he's played enough PLO to see that like when people bet on the river, it's almost always the nuts, you know? Yeah. Given that it's almost always the nuts, do you think our river bluff should be larger? I mean, uh, I think he has to shove. Yeah, he has right? like, yeah, he has like 400 left. I think like if you bet 200, like you're giving yourself a better price on the bluff, but that's definitely a type of bet that, you know, will get heroed uh, a good amount. Maybe not from this player, because I'm actually, I think I know the exact player, but I would I would just shove on the, the cards Kevin was planning on leading. Right. Okay, but he has a little bit more than 400 behind, right? Just a little. It's like It's like 450. Oh, so, okay. So it's 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 super close. You know, he has less than half pot behind. Okay. And I I think I I can profitably get him to fold out his two pair type hands uh, pretty easily. But like at these games, this is a very not recommended strategy. Like people will will call you with whatever they have because they can reach into their pocket and and rebuy. You know, they they think that they have so much money invested into the hand. Uh, that they can, they don't want to lose out on their equity by by folding after putting all this money into the pot. But I think with this specific player, he's capable of folding, you know, non-nutted hands or, you know, top two pair uh, on the river when I when I decide to to shove. Yeah, and I think like the the turn bet of two fifty is not like. I love my hand so much I'm never going to fold it kind of bet. Uh, right. He kind of gave himself enough money left to fold the river. <laughs> Perfect. Right? Yeah, it's, no, that, that's kind of what he's thinking. He's like, you know, I want, he's like, I might have the best hand now. I don't want to bet too much, uh, but I want everyone to fold. And if someone calls and bets him, like, I think he's checking back the safest river card if he doesn't improve to a boat, you know? Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so we want to move to the river? Yeah, I can think of a couple of interesting ones, but... <laughs> the river is the jack of clubs. 
So it brings in uh, you know, uh, the straight, basically. I I'm representing 910 exactly. Um, I don't think I ever have Jack Jack in this in this situation, but this was one of the cards that I thought I could bluff shove the river and get a fold from from two pair. Like you guys said, this guy only bet two fifty on the turn. He doesn't love his hand, and he gave himself just enough left behind to to fold. Mm -hmm. And uh, he ends up folding. Says says he's he's folding uh, queen eight. Yeah, I think the the only danger on a card like this, which I still think you have to shove, is that occasionally you get looked up by like a a queen jack seven or queen jack eight. Right. Yeah, but you still have you to know shove. Those, but yeah, someone who's going to fold queen eight, I think is pretty likely to fold queen jack. Although, like, there's sort of the new shiny card element. Uh, yeah, for what it's worth, that's what I have noticed a little bit at at like the PLO games in Cleveland, like people really aren't paying off big river bets ever when they shouldn't uh, except for when like their bluff catcher becomes a like the same in effect, but they like hit a higher two pair or they hit a, you know, they improve mm -hmm. their hand, even though in effect it's the same bluff catcher hand. Right. So in this situation, basically we, we got one of the river cards we were kind of hoping to represent uh, and it worked. I have I have questions about how you might have uh, handled other river cards. So okay. in particular, uh, what would you do on either, or respectively, an ace, a four, or a three? Um, so an ace, I would probably shove because I don't think he has very many aces in his range if he's just calling, like overcalling preflop, where it went raise re-raise and i have an ace in my hand so i could have more aces i could have more ace uh queen ace eight ace seven type hands that called with you know a nut a nut flush draw uh pre-flop um a four i would probably check and a, i would probably give up on a four because it's not scary and he if he has queen eight he still has top two Mm -hmm. um, like we were just talking about, you know, someone that is bluff catching with with queen eight versus queen jack, where you know they're fold queen eight because it's not top top two anymore. Um, and a three, I think I would check because it gives me uh, a showdown equity, right? Right. I can decide on on you know whatever he does, you know, out of position with an over pair and a you know a board paired three. But I might be losing value in that spot. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's my concern too. I'm I'm thinking on a three, it's worth considering, like, a small lead. But I don't know if you think that'll get called. I feel like a two hundred dollar bet or like a hundred fifty, you know, is going to get called by two pair there. Right. I'm just trying to think when I would ever not just shove the river. Right. I, I don't. I don't think I have a hand that I would not check or just bet the entire 450 that my opponent has. Well, that's Bless if you're hand. playing correctly. Like, theoretically, you, yeah, you should, given, like, given the stack sizes at this point, yeah, I don't think, like, there's anything in theory that you should ever not jam. But against this specific opponent in this instance, I could definitely see a bit of, I think, in spe specifically, like, 200 or 250, 
getting looked up by a lot of this player's range that you're ahead of. So are you, are you ever betting in that spot to fold when your opponent uh, moves all in? Or are you just looking for, for value and you're going to call it off because there's just too much money in there? I think against this opponent specifically, it's kind of gross, but I'm happily bet folding for two. Yeah, I think I'm bet folding, which is like kind of insane, but yeah, it just seems insane to me, right? But I mean, like, it's it's pretty easy and realistic to like, you know, consider a scenario where this player is just like never raising without a better hand than you know kings and threes, right? I might call it off. Just in case this player ever like sort of randomly bluffs, because I, I honestly can't even think of any hands that he would want to shove for value. I yeah, guess maybe it's a just three. Difficult with the way the hand played out, that he's yeah. shoving for value, right? I don't know. Queen seven maybe three. Queen, I don't know. Maybe queen three, maybe seven three, but those seem somewhat unlikely. Yeah, I agree. Especially considering that. Uh, it was a three bet pop pre flop, and he shouldn't have very many threes in his range. But yeah. then also, again, this is the Cleveland Pillow game. Yeah. Also, I'm, the fact that like on under the gun, under the gun one, under the gun plus one called, like they had to have something. So at least some of that is going to be like queen x, seven uh, x, three x. So I think the making him having two pair on the flop after both of those players also call, I think it's pretty unlikely. Yeah. I feel like I've been, I may be a little biased in my decision to bet full just because I'm almost positive. I know the player Kevin's talking about and I've probably played over like 30 sessions with them and have never seen them make a single bluff. Yeah. It just <laughs> doesn't happen in these games. They're, they're, like, there are certain people that you, you play differently against because they, they're capable I think probably some of the like looser, uh, but still like relatively passive like players in the PLO game, which is the majority of players, will be capable of like bluffing a nut flush draw, and like that's basically it. And will occasionally right. bet a missed draw for like a very small amount of money. But to ever yep. see like a semi bluff with a straight type draw. I guess maybe you see it sometimes for like a full wrap or a nut flush draw where like even kind of not great players know that those hands are good. But besides like really and then they're not really bluffing, you know, in their minds they're bluffing, but they actually have a hand with a ton of equity. Right. Uh, and and even even then in those spots, um, I've noticed that a lot of these players will bet pretty heavily with nut flush draws, but they won't bet heavily with wraps. Mm. Right. Cause they, they don't understand that you, know, you, you have sometimes more outs with a wrap than with a flush draw, depending on uh, blockers and board textures, et cetera. Yeah. These players will call more often with their straight draws and wraps than they they will raise more with their uh, nut flush draws. It's really, really weird how these these players just don't really think of outs or equities uh, in the correct manner. And that's that's what you have to try to do to uh, win at this game. Yeah, I can imagine some players though. Like, if we bet two hundred on the river, and they're holding a hand like seven six five four, just sort of like steam jamming. Like, I think enough of the pool would prefer to like jam over this kind of fishy seeming bet 
uh, than just fold outright. That against a player I didn't know as well as maybe you you know this player, uh, I'd be tempted to call since I can't think of any clear value raises. Yeah, and the pot odds are so good that like yeah. you only need to be correct a very small percentage of the time. Right. Uh, but but against a player that you've literally never seen bluff over thirty sessions, and yeah, I would fold. I'd bet fold. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ah, I feel like I learned. Uh, that's a good feeling. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Kevin. This is actually our first like proper PLO podcast, and hopefully, it will not be the last. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Um, cool. So, when we have guests on, Kevin, we usually just like to ask a few questions about like their lives and stuff. And I was also just kind of interested in what it's like being in Vegas. So, if do you have you have a few more minutes? Yeah, sure. Um. So yeah, what uh, what has Vegas been like? You've been there for a little under a year now. Yep, I uh, got there right before the WSOP started. Um, very excited that they announced the dates for the, the new WSOP. Um, that it, it's you know definitely going on this year. The cash games are much different than I expected. Um, the cash games are a lot more reggy in certain casinos. Uh, in other casinos, they're a lot more touristy. But I think the cash games in Vegas are actually you have to you have to pick and choose um, more more so than you do in Cleveland. Like the PLO games in Cleveland, when they have three tables, more often than not, all three of those tables are at least decent. You know, in in Vegas, you have to game select, and that's a skill that I have never really. Um, worked on i've never really noticed that i had to work on it until i got to vegas because some games are just unbeatable even at like some two five no limit games you have to table change because uh players are either too nitty or you know the game's just not good there's no one to to pick on um which is why i've i've switched to more tournaments recently because i i really do enjoy uh deep structure tournaments with, with bigger stacks. And uh, I've been putting a lot of work into tournaments more so than cash games recently. Mm-hmm. Do you find those tournaments consistently softer? Yes. Yeah. These, these tournaments, uh, a lot of them, uh, you know, the between 100 and 300 p- uh, person fields, you know, either single day or multi-day, multi-day ones are a lot of the same people that I've come to know how they play and, I know who the gamblers are and I know who the uh, type players are. And it's just uh, like the learning curve was actually pretty quick to, to figure out how these games worked. Right. And I think I could definitely imagine like for a lot of tourists, it's more appealing to sign up for a poker tournament when you're in Vegas than to go sit at a cash game. Like, uh, especially for people who are like fans of the WSOP broadcast and don't want to lose too much money. Right, exactly. So if you go play the dailies at Aria, the 125 buy-ins or the 240s or like the, the dailies at Venetian, which are the same thing, or at the Wynn in Vegas, like all these casinos have you know, between 70 and 100 people uh, that play these tournaments twice a day. And a lot of them are very tourist-heavy. Yeah, it sounds fun. It's fun. It's just uh, a little more gambling than I would like, right? Like I, I got to play the WSUP main event for the first time this year, which was 
the most incredible poker tournament I've ever played in. It was just uh, the structure was great. You could sit around and, you know, literally wait for aces or kings and, you know, people would pay you off every time. I would play that tournament every day of my life if I could. You have a, you have a good table? Uh, I, had, I had a great table. The only the only player that I played against that uh, I, I had two people that I played against that I knew throughout the you know three full days that I played that tournament. One of them was uh, Ruzichka, who ended up final mm-hmm. tabling, and the other one, um, uh, you know, final tabled a couple years ago. So I didn't really have any super tough tables or you know anyone that I really couldn't handle. Yeah, it sounds ideal. Do you think? Like how above EV in terms of like table selection or table quality? You think you think you ran? Um, probably probably very very high. Yeah. Considering <laughs> I I follow a lot of uh, you know professional poker players. I know who a lot of the big names are. You know, I could look around at other tables and notice you know one person at least from every table and not notice anyone from my table. It's a pretty good table draw. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. How did you play many of the like thousand dollar, fifteen hundred dollar buy-in hold'em tournaments? And how did those? If you did, how did those feel compared to like the main event? Uh, I I played in uh, a few of them. Like I played in the Millionaire Maker. Played in uh, the fifteen hundred dollar Monster Stack. Um, the fields were uh, comparable in size. So the monster stack was uh, 6,400 players. Um, and I, I feel like my table draws were worse than the main event because players were better. But, I mean, it's the, the same size field, right? You can't rebuy. So I think it was a lot of the same players that were playing in the, in these events that are playing in the main event. I just got a little bit unluckier with the table draws, but, you know, when you want to get lucky with table draws in the main event is a good one to to get lucky in. Well, for cash, uh, do you have a favorite place to play? Like, And does that change, uh, you know, around like New Year's or, you know, sort of at, at high peak travel times? For cash, I like playing at the Aria because I've noticed it's the most touristy location. Um, if you go to Venetian, it's a lot of the same regs that play every day, uh, and the win is is pretty much the same thing. There are a lot of the the younger kids like to go to the win, um, but if you want to play a touristy location, the Aria is probably the best one and my favorite one to play. The only problem is you have to get there early because their tables fill up, and they, it's not uncommon for them to have thirty people on every list. Yeah, so it's it's a place where there's like a lot of very good non like quality of the game reasons for pros not to go that generally it's going to be a good place to play if you can kind of tolerate it or figure out a way to have it not affect you as much right yeah it's a really small small room uh or not really small but it's it's not very big especially compared to like the size of the casino right how often how often does the game get off in like that back room they have there uh, I can't remember. Is it Ivy's room or Ivy's whose room, room is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, the last time I was there, they were playing 100, 200, no limit. Um, I would say it gets off probably once or twice a week. But the the huge games are in Bobby's room at Bellagio. You know, they played 1,500, 3,000 limit mixed games. 
it's just crazy to watch all the money on the table and all these professionals that you see, you know, that were on high stakes poker or poker after dark back in the day, just grinding it out. Yeah. I miss those shows. I agree. Uh, although poker, I mean, poker after dark, I don't, I don't think it's quite as good of a format, but yeah, high stakes, we need high stakes poker back. I think it'd be good for, you know, my own personal entertainment value and also the health of the game as a whole. Well, they did that yeah. that super high roller cash game, and that was like I thought that was really great TV personally. Yeah, I agree. And you know they they do the Poker Night in America uh, Twitch casts every once in a while. I like watching those because you know there still are fish that play these twenty five fifty games you know, that, that travel <laughs> around the country that you can take advantage of and see normal people just like me in these games that you know gives gives hope to the up and comers. Yeah, no, definitely watching Poker Night in America is like, oh, like, I mean, yeah, I just, I just feel like generally I would be a, a pretty good favorite in those lineups. And, you know, I'm not anywhere rolled near towards what I would need to be able to play those games. But it's, yeah, like you said, it's hopeful to be like, OK, like there are at least some games out there that I could like move up to 2550 in. not sure how sustainable it would be, but. <laughs> right. It's just good television. Yeah. Yeah, Sean Deeb gets to play in all those games. <laughs> yeah, <somehow. laughs> Which seems a little unfair. There's there's something really interesting about these type of high stakes games because there's you can't really grind it out. Like high stakes poker is such a unique situation or poker night America is such a unique situation that I think that it gives an even bigger edge to like a more creative professional that is less like kind of locked into like a certain set strategy because you're only gonna be able to play with these this group of people very likely if it's on TV like once or a very small amount of time times and there's going to be a lot of unique situations that I th- think are exclusive to playing on TV. Uh, people will just play differently because they know that they're being recorded and it's like up to the, you know, the better players to figure out how they're doing that. Yep. I agree. And I, I've seen it like, uh, Anything in particular you had in mind? Um, my friend got to play it live at the bike uh, a few weeks ago. And basically, he was setting up this image for himself through the entire session. And the second to the last hand, he just three-barrel bluffed with king high and got a fold on the river. <laughs> just so, like, did did he want this image for the like the game or did he want this super nitty image for like the game she normally plays in? I think it's just for that game oh. because everyone who knows him that plays with him regularly, he's the exact opposite. <laughs> so he just wanted to see if he was like disciplined enough to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was actually like awesome to watch. Um, it was, you know, very proud of him basically. Like it's really cool. You can change gears like that, dude. Yeah. No, I wanted to. Pl- I was actually just in LA visiting some family, and I really wanted to play it live at the bike. But the entire week after, like Christmas, they weren't doing the show. So, uh, yeah. Next time, maybe this time in the summer. Right. What's like the process for getting on that show? You email them, but you could also like probably join if you get there early that day and put yourself on the list. It's pretty yeah, easy. That's- Right. That that's how he did it. He just got there early and put his name on the list and you know, he was at the table when they started. 
some nice just hands branding uh branding opportunity right there that is that is definitely true <laughs> all right well i mean kevin you know better than most that uh wednesday is promotion day at the jack are you going to play uh yes so i think it's best if we release you now so i can you know go grind out my uh one three hopefully two five uh salary (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i'm actually going up there uh after this i'll be there for a couple hours playing plo um i have dinner plans tonight and tomorrow and then flying back to vegas on friday awesome well i'll come over and say hey i don't know exactly what do you look like uh tall skinny kid with glasses okay uh wearing a black hoodie okay for hopefully you'll be my first uh guess all right (laughs) all right perfect